0: The following program is part of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, China podcast series. For more information on the National Committee, visit us at www.ncuscr.org or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Weibo.
1: Good afternoon. This is Steve Orlands, President of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, and I have with me today Simon Winchester. He is the acclaimed author of many books, and for those of us who study China, most famously the book The Man Who Loved China, where he previously spoke at one of our events, and is truly a marvelous book. Now he's written another marvelous book, which includes but does not focus on China, and it has the very long title of Pacific, Silicon Chips and Surfboards, Coral Reefs and Atom Bombs, Brutal Dictators, Fading Empires, and the Coming Collision of the World's Superpowers. Simon, the Pacific, how could you have chosen a bigger topic? What made you do this?
0: Well, it had a certain logic to it, because I had written about the Atlantic about five years ago, and the thesis that drove that was that the Mediterranean was the inland sea of the classical world, And if that was an acceptable idea, then it was reasonable to say that the Atlantic was the inland sea of the modern world. And if you then accept that, then the Pacific could be regarded as the inland sea of tomorrow's world. So I wrote the book on the Atlantic. (coughs) Then I wrote a book about the making of the United States, which had a sort of westward sort of tone to it, because... The Manifest Destiny and people pressing westward towards the shores of the Pacific. And the Pacific then had an inevitability to it. I've written the Atlantic, I've written the bit in the middle, and the bit on the western edge. Seemed so you're a European, condition. you
1: started in Europe, mm-hmm. you emigrated to the United States, yep. you went westward across the United States and into the Pacific. Indeed. Well, I love that you dated the book, that you started the analysis on January 1st, 1950? Because it's very easy for me, because that was basically when I was born. So it made all of the events during my lifetime. How did you choose the ten kind of events or trends?
0: Well, I, in from January the 1st, 1950 until May 2014, which was the date I chose to be the end of the book, in those 64 years, I decided to collect... As many events that seemed interesting and important that I could find from newspapers and magazines and scientific journals and so forth and came up with a, about 300 I suppose and then winnowed them down to 100 and then to 50 and finally to 10 each of which when arranged in chronological order seemed to betoken or presage a, a trend in the Pacific so that a reader would one hopes Look at these ten and say, "There's a pointillist portrait of the Pacific, both as she is at the moment, and as I expect the ocean to develop in the next few decades." So it was—it was difficult to know what to discard. With there were 300 events to start with, it meant I would discarded 290 of them. But I'm reasonably—the book has now been out for a month, and I'm reasonably happy that the ten I chose were the right ten. It's been well received. Very well. The Wall Street Journal was the only fly in the ointment. Apart from that, um, <laughs> everyone the New York Times and the West Coast papers uh, have said that they like it very much, yes. Now,
1: chapter 10 is the one which about really China and the South China Seas, and is of most interest to probably people are listening to this podcast since it's on the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations website. Um, you spent six weeks, I think,
0: you wrote at PayCom? Is that...? Yes, I mean in and out of PACOM and with, um, with various officers there of varying ranks up to uh, the chap who um, was at the time the commander of the Pacific Fleet and who is now the PACOM commander, Harry Harris. Um, and so I did spend a lot of time both with their analysts and with their operational people and with you know, people like the meteorological I was very. There's a whole chapter on weather in the right. Pacific, for instance, and in the, in the Pearl Harbor Weather Center is very important. So yes, I spent a lot of time based at the East-West Center in Honolulu, mm-hmm. but shuttling every day to Camp Smith, where PACOM is based, or Pearl Harbor, where the Pacific Fleet is based. So I, I certainly listened to the the admirals' apprehensions about what is going on on the western side of the Pacific, and um, they're very considerable and. Um, in many ways justified. I'm not sure that the reaction, at least the political reaction, is necessarily the right one. How much time do you
1: spend talking to Chinese who focus on that?
0: Well, relatively little, um, because I I make no excuses about it. This book is from the Western perspective. So I read a fair amount of of what uh, has been translated anyway as what the Chinese... Strategic intentions are for for the Pacific, but in terms of I mean the last time I was in China, I went there twice I think during the writing of this book, but equally I spent a lot of time in Japan and uh, Northeast Russia, Kamchatka, the Sea of Okhotsk, and around there.
1: What was so interesting as I as I got to the end of the book, you you, it was obviously spent a lot of time talking to the PACOM people, and to some degree you fairly portrayed their views of the South China Sea is somewhat alarmist, somewhat. But yet you point out that, you know, there are budget issues here, and obviously they're going to be alarmist. But then your conclusion, and let me, for our listeners, um, quote it. You say on the penultimate page, instead of aircraft carriers and pollution, garbage, what's the word, gyres? Gyres. And and coral bleaching, beyond the bywords of our presence there should now be a fresh kind of lexicon. Respect, reverence, accommodation, admiration and awe for much that the East stands for. All these should now be the new watch words. Something that one would expect the Chinese to write, yet that's kind of your conclusion. Where do you ultimately come out on these issues? Are we reacting too strongly? Should we be more accommodating of the Chinese from kind of an outsider, from an author's perspective, who's not a China expert? What do you think?
0: It's a very complex question, but you asked me where I come down. Ever since the 1520s, when Westerners had penetrated into the Pacific, we have done a great deal of interfering, from the missionaries who tried to turn people Christian, to the people who colonized it, to the people who overfished it, to the people who dropped nuclear bombs on it. One way or another, the Western impress on the Pacific has not been kindly and gentle and respectful of the history and the generally Pacific history of the Pacific peoples. I'm not naive enough to believe it was entirely uh, non-belligerent. But generally speaking... The Pacific has not benefited from Western interference. Now, the West, ever since the 1970s, the end of the Vietnam War, and Britain's inability and unwillingness to maintain an empire, most of the Western powers have retreated from the Pacific. Uh, The Germans went a long time ago, the Portuguese ended theirs in 1999, the British in 1997. We just have one remaining. Uh, colony, and that's Pitcairn Island. The mm-hmm. Americans, of course, left Southeast Asia, tails between their legs in the 70s. So generally speaking now, and at long last, the Pacific seems to me to be standing on its own two feet. And I think that's good for the Pacific and good for the planet generally. And that we should, you ask me what my basic point of view is, that we shouldn't continue to interfere in the matters of the Pacific. And if China a Pacific nation of great antiquity, wishes to enjoy maritime equivalence with the United States, I see no problem. Because China has not exactly gone to the eastern shores of the Pacific and colonized any countries over there, nor has she dropped nuclear weapons in the middle of the Pacific on any atolls. She hasn't made much trouble in the way that we Westerners have. So I think her intentions are generally benign, and I think she should be allowed more or less to do as she wishes. She has no interest in, in limiting trade or in, in any way threatening the trade routes, uh, which, of course, the United States regards as sacrosanct. I think she would, I think, she would think the same as well. Um, so I think to react in the short term, whereas China's policies, of course, are made very much in the long term, and to react in a hostile way is naive and short-sighted. Interesting. As I read
1: through the chapter, the early portions of Chapter 10, I did not think that was your conclusion. That was only when I read that last page. That is not something which your friends at PACOM think should be the, the policies of the United States. No,
0: you're absolutely right. On the other hand, that conclusion doesn't come at the end of Chapter 10. It comes at the end of the epilogue, which is about yes. about the... Yes, um, and ultimate uh, that's right. About the voyage of the Hokulea, which is a a Polynesian craft, which, not belaboring the point, the reason that this wonderful skill of non-instrumental navigation withered and died in Polynesia in the 19th century is because, whereas previously it was entirely possible for a Polynesian sailor to take his canoe and sail it from the Marquesas to New Zealand come the Westerners, and they said, well, wait a minute, you can't do that, because the Marquesas are French, the intervening islands are British, there are some German possessions, there are some American possessions, there are some more British possessions. If you want to make that journey, you're going to have to have a passport. And they said, this is completely ridiculous. Why should we? Uh, You must apply. We can't read. We've seen no need to read. And this spelled the death knell for Polynesian navigation. They can still do it. Mercifully, there are one or two people that have the skill. They've taught some Hawaiians how to do it. There's now a craft sailing around the world, currently in South Africa, shortly to be in the Atlantic Ocean, to demonstrate that these ancient skills, which we managed almost to extinguish, are still very much extant.
1: Simon, thank you so much for joining us today. I've had with me today Simon Winchester, the author of the new book, Pacific. I hope this short discussion has given you a taste of this wonderful book. You can either read the book or listen to the audio tape, which the wonderful voice that you've heard this afternoon um, narrates. Thanks, Simon.
0: You're very kind. Thank you so much.